0: Hello there, it's Chappie, your British butler. Let's keep calm and Cauliflower Cheese. And we're at episode 134. Believe it or not, episode 134 today. And we have a very special, sort of a mixture of comedy and creeps, a Halloween special. So we're going to be examining some of the ancient... Halloween traditions of the UK, Scotland, England, some of the foods that we like, some of the funny eccentric uh, foods that probably nobody else would ever touch, but we do love uh, if you like it, apple bobbing and apple bobbing for a toffee apple, then it's right up your alley, indeed it is, so we're going to be having that, we're going to be having the creepy, I'm going to be revisiting one of uh, my favourite tales about... Uh, the uh, headless corpse of Anne at Blickling Hall in Norfolk in the UK. We're going to be retelling and recounting uh, that tale. Also we have something else is rather fascinating that's sort of um, local to uh, local to home and pretty scary. I was reading about it today. The Ghosts of the Third Bridge here in Colorado. So this third bridge has had many sort of paranormal happenings over the course of the last uh, century or so. Um, but I think the bridge has been built fairly recently. So anyway, it's sort of mind-blowing, some of the paranormal encounters that have happened. So we have that as well. Uh, we also... I, I'm breaking one of my rules... So, accidentally on purpose, well, not on my purpose, but the purpose of the chap who delivered my groceries earlier, he threw in, and I don't know, I mean, I guess it's, I suppose it's my bad luck, or sod's law, or whatever you want to call it. But I was delivered some English muffins, a brand of English muffin, and I I rather like the uh, raisin cinnamon, it's like an old English tea cake. Well, not old as in the sense of moldy, like an old boot or anything, but just sort of old English styly. Um, but I got some pumpkin spice tea cakes delivered today, uh, or pumpkin spice English muffins. So I have them actually on the plate on the right-hand side of me, and they're buttered, dripping with butter to an inch of their lives. And I thought I'd do sort of a live taste test right at the beginning of the program. You know why not? You know why? Why the heck not? So yeah, it might break my curse to the whole pumpkin spice, but I feel it's about breaking curses today. Because later on in the show, right at the end of the show, I'm going uh, to cross a trail in the dead of night, maybe towards midnight, or, or certainly it'll be pure pitch black outside. And I'm going to take my trusty steeds, my hounds with me, Maggie and George, uh, and by torchlight, by flashlight, it should be by candlelight, shouldn't it? That's much more Halloweeny if I had a, a dripping candelabra as I uh, went on my uh, ghostly way. No, but I'm going to take a trail that I believe leads me to a. Indian burial ground yes an Indian you heard me right an Indian or Native American burial ground. So this Native American burial ground is uh, is here in Colorado quite local to me and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of gonna try something. So I mean I know all you peeps out there are into carving pumpkins. I'm gonna carve a turnip. I'm going to see what happens when I carve a turnip at an ancient Native American burial ground later on. You know, I may give it some eyes, a sort of creepy smile, but uh, this particular burial ground is uh, is, is quite local. And um, reading the description, see how two contrasting cultures converged on the Colorado prairie by examining the recreated teepee camps of the nomad cheyenne tribe visiting wells crossing an 1887 pioneer outpost with two homesteads a schoolhouse blacksmith shop heirloom and uh, a chicken coop well there'll be no chicken coop but there is an ancient uh, native american burial ground that i'll be visiting tonight with my hands and i'll be carving a turnip once I get there and we'll see what happens so that's in the essence of the show so back to the uh, pumpkin spice English muffin. I mean, rather good taste test here. So very buttery, soap butter. I'm going to take the crispy one to begin with. Apparently there's bits of pumpkin in there. It tastes just like the one with raisins, but without the raisins. Well, whilst I tuck into this, and hope you don't get get terrible indigestion, I will give you uh, my verdict on the other side. So this English muffin. I don't know if if the pumpkin was pureed into the English muffin or was meant to be pieces of pumpkin in there. I don't know. It it tastes like a cinnamon raisin without the raisins to me. And I was slightly perturbed that I might find pieces of pumpkin in there. But I guess it's just pumpkin spice. But it said on the label that there'd be pieces of pumpkin in there. But I, anyway, I don't know. It's buttery. It's good. It's okay. Not sure if I'll get it again. It has a sort of slightly dodgy aftertaste, though. A lingering... It's a pumpkin spice give you a lingering aftertaste? I don't know. So anyway, we, we're laying out the show. It's a mixture of the comedic and the creep, uh, this show. So... On the comedic side, you know, as some of the usual, trample trombone, uh, usual nonsense uh, that uh, that we'll be uh, talking about. So I did have a, a very creepy situation in, uh, in the week. So I did have the situation where, yeah. So it was like, I, I didn't know if it was a rodent, a squeak. It was something behind my fridge in the middle of the night the other day. Yep. And... I will be revealing what was found. Am I inf- in Am I infested? Is there an infestation of rodents, mice, rats, birds? Who knows? It could be crows. Hopefully not ravens. though. because ravens. I don't know if you've heard the old adage of um, if the ravens leave the Tower of London, then then the monarchy will collapse. So, I hope it's not the case. If there are ravens behind there. You know what? There's not much space behind the bridge, and these ravens are bloody big, so I don't think there there wouldn't be a raven behind there. But I'll be revealing that to you. How does one make? How does you make oneself cry? I've got a good method, and it's not eating twelve cloves of garlic. As we talked about as well. Also, my uh, messy mouth uh, will be we'll be, uh, we'll be looking at that uh, as well as part of the uh, as part of the podcast here. Um, also some of the other, some of the other elements of the, uh, of the show, um, is the introverted hangover is real. There's an introverted hangover and Bodice ripping science, loving Georgians were true revolutionaries. Uh, also, uh, prices in the truffle industry hit an all time high. I know your highly esteemed, uh, listeners and, um, I don't know if any of you are uh, noticing a shortage in the whole uh, truffle industry at the moment, but uh, a man also on the other end of the scale, a man pays off student loan by eating all of his meals at an amusement park. Uh, yeah, that'll be a part of the, uh, part of the podcast as well. Uh, also, uh, endangered condors have virgin births. Uh, Halloween don't get me started. And a nurse who thought she was being secretly hypnotized at work and made to fart. So I'm giving you a British Halloween, just an essence uh, of the British Halloween, an illustration. So some of the elements of the podcast today. So we're looking at the Celtic Day of the Dead. Some historians believe that the modern Halloween is a descendant of the Celtic holiday Samhain. Or again, I pronounce it completely incorrectly. It's Soan. But it's spelt Samhain. I mean, actually know very little about this ancient pagan festival. But we believe it's something like a harvest party with a healthy dose of ancestor worship. The veil between this world and the next was thought to be especially thin around November the 1st. And the souls of the deceased relatives could come back home to share a meal with the living. And this may be the reason for the belief in ghosts and spirits, especially around an active October the 31st. So, it was midnight. Middle of the week. I'd fallen asleep early on the couch and raised myself into my room to go to bed. And I'd been sleeping a couple of hours when one eyelid opened and then the other. And there was a strange sort of squealing screeching sound coming from the kitchen of New Chappie Towers and I went to investigate to know if it was some fire alarm that the battery was running low and it started squeaking or maybe the fridge door wasn't shut properly it was a jar and maybe it's causing some alarm to go off I investigated, I moved things around, I checked the ice machine. I pushed the doors to the fridge. Put my weight behind it. There was no sound. As I approached the fridge fridge freezer, there was no sound. So I took my tired body back to bed. One ear pricked to see if any other sounds would occur. I fell back asleep again. Then I woke again to a screeching sound squealing some rodent trapped or some young bird caught behind the mechanics of the fridge freezer. I looked again, checked everything. Could it be next door? Could there be some infestation in the next door to Chappy Towers? As I approached, it went silent again. The screeching was silent. So I went back to bed and it started. It was endless. It was relentless. incredibly disturbing the dogs were restless as well it was magnified to their delicate ears all I could hear was this squealing and screeching I wanted it to stop I wanted it to relent I wanted to sleep I wanted my slumber back And I decided I better record the sound for posterity. And I'm going to play it to you, the Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese listener, so you understand the torment I was going through the other day. Listen carefully. This is the sufferance that I had to go through. Was that a bird? Was it some sort of mouse rodent? And once again, for posterity. It was scratching all the way at my eardrums. I couldn't hear anything else. It was so painful. What was I to do? I couldn't sleep. I just tossed and turned as the noise kept continuing and rumbling on, screeching and scraping. Not even a good strong cup of tea helped me. The lack of sleep was driving me crazy. The dogs were pacing up and down, sighing, uncomfortable. Restless as was I, when would it stop? The nightmare was continuing. It was now six o'clock, and I hadn't slept, nor had the poor dogs. And I called up the maintenance chap, left a message. It was too early for anything to be done. The sound had relented slightly; dawn had broken still kept coming back sporadically to torment me. I talked to my dear mother, and she didn't know what it was. Was it a fire alarm, some trapped rodent? I mean, we just didn't know. And then, a few hours later, I called again, because it was driving me crazy. And And the maintenance chat would be around very soon and maybe my problems would be solved. And then I talked to Anne. I sent her the message. And she started cackling, laughing uncontrollably. She says, I know what it is. And I said, how do you know what it is? From that sound, from that squealing sound. The squealing sound. I mean, was that a mouse? She says, I think your troubles will be solved momentarily. Have you tried pulling out the fridge freezer? So I pulled it out. And she says, You know what that is? It's a cricket. Now, the only cricket I know is played with bat and ball in the early hours of the morning American time. And only insane fools like myself get up. Luckily, there was cricket on. So the cricket was disturbing my cricket. The wing cricket was disturbing the bat and ball cricket that I so longed to watch. And I'd never had one torment me like this, a single cricket away from its swarm belittling me through the wee hours of the night. But it was a tiny cricket that was rubbing its wings and it sounded like the loudest thing I'd ever heard. It sounded like a trumpet. It was bedlam, for me anyway. And then the maintenance chap arrived and he pulled out the freezer and his left boot sent the cricket to its mortal coil. And then there was silence and forever I will be known as the cricket chap. So more traditional Halloween from the uh, old country. So Hallows' Eve, the word hallow means to make holy or set apart, to respect greatly. It was once used interchangeably with the word saint as early as the 7th century. The Catholic tradition of All Hallows' Day was established to commemorate Christian saints in Britain. This day was observed around the same time as Samhain. So it may have been a way of Christianizing a pagan holiday, though some historians believe that Samhain and All Hallows really have little to do with each other. The day before All Hallows was known as All Hallows Even or Halloween and October the 31st became associated with the prayers for the dead. As Britain became more Christian, the pagan ways were reduced to superstition. The gods and goddesses of the past may have abandoned but their memory lived on in people's beliefs in ghosts and fairies. It was once that mischievous spirits were especially naughty on Halloween. Oh, you naughty spirit, you naughty spirit. So, costumes galore, the tradition of wearing costumes on Halloween may have begun as far back as Celtic times an attempt to confuse and distract evil spirits. But it's also known as Mischief Night. Where did the trick part of Trick or Treat come in? These nasty fairies might have not been an actual threat. But there were plenty of people who would have taken advantage of the night's fear and spiritual chaos to play pranks. There was also an actual Mischief Night celebrated in the UK. This falls on November the 4th, but soapy windows and toilet-papered trees have accompanied Halloween festivities for quite some time. I'm sure you'll be absolutely delighted that Chappy the Bread does clean his teeth. And I found out that I have a little bit of an issue. Now, I don't know if any of you, the rest of you, have this, but when you're cleaning one's teeth, I have a very sloppy mouth, I've discovered, where... All the toothpaste and, you know, remnants of uh, toasted tea cakes and everything else that fall out, like, drip everywhere. And I think my mouth is sloppier and drippier than anybody else's mouth out there. I need quite a large towel to mop up the mess after. And it's not very pleasant. I mean, you have to be careful where one's wiping one's face. Like, if you're a guest at somebody's house you sort of wipe your face in the wrong place. Because when you have a sloppy mouth, there's all sorts of issues that can happen. And it's not very uh, polite uh, and probably sacrilegious to some people to wipe one's mouth on a hand towel. But I think that my, I don't know what this is, but my mouth is sloppier than the average person. I mean, it drips all over my top or chest hair or whatever it is. And I don't know how to solve this problem. I need, I think that I need, at the ripe old age of 44, I need to get myself a bib, a a baby's bib when I'm cleaning my teeth. So I don't make a mess everywhere. But soul cakes were considered to be the forerunner of the modern trick-or-treating. Souling was a practice of children and poor who would go from house to house in the UK begging for soul cakes. These spiced cakes were given with the understanding that the soul who ate them would turn prey for the souls of the dead. This harkens back to the ancient practice of dining with the dead. In later times, people decided against leaving food on the doorstep for dearly departed granny and instead would give her prayers that could go get out, get her out of purgatory. Nowadays, we've forgotten poor Granny altogether and just give snickers to little imps. Later in the program, I will be doing some turnip carving at a Native American burial ground in the dead of night with my two hounds to keep me company and safety, of course. But turnip carving, carved pumpkins, are a Halloween classic. But before these squashes came to Britain from America, the Scottish were carving turnips into lanterns. The story of Jack-o'-lantern may have grown out of the practice of carving turnips into faces and placing candles inside or vice versa. The original idea was probably to frighten evil spirits away from the home. A bone whistle turnip with its resemblance to a human skull would certainly look more frightening than a big orange pumpkin we carve today. And divination. Or divination, believe it or not, the autumnal tradition of bobbing for apples may have its roots in Celtic fairy lore. In 1902, one British author recorded the peculiar superstition that when an apple bobber finally caught an apple in their mouth, they were to peel it carefully, pass a long strip of peel thrice sunwise around their head, and then throw it over their shoulder. It was said that the pier would fall to the ground in the shape of the initials letter of the Bobber's true love's name. Well, that's one to try. I mean, do you think you need a Granny Smith's or or maybe a Cox's Orange Pippin? So we have a local ghost tale. Or ghostly location. To kick off our ghost stories in the second one we're going to be going to Blickling Hall. But... The third bridge. Urban legend tells us a story of a bridge located out on a desolate prairie southeast of Denver, third bridge or ghost bridge is as often referred to carries the county line road over the dry bread of Kira Creek. The details of the stories are mostly unknown to those who take the long drive at night to hear the fabled sounds of drums, horses beating across the bridge and to recite stories of deaths by car accident, murder and massacre. Are these stories true? Is the area tainted forever by the blood spilled long ago? Do the sounds of drums floating upon the air tell a story of a historical death and foretell a doom yet to come? The third bridge is a ghostly location local to me. Third bridge is a popular spot for ghost hunters, thrill seekers, and teens looking for a place to party due mostly to its secluded location and accessibility. The landscape of the area is somewhat straight out of a scary movie, a dark dirt road. Across the plains, going over a large hill, the kind that makes you wonder where the other side is as you come over the top. Then dropping down to the wooded banks of the Dry Creek, bed known as Kira Creek, the bridge itself is a long span of concrete and metal, the kind that if you were running along it, it would take you a while to get to the other end. There's no escape along the sides because of the 15-foot drop down the creek bed. When night falls, it's pitch black with just a hint of lights off in the distance. The later it gets, the quieter it gets, creating a perfect time for one to listen for the sounds of the Indian drums. The bridge that exists today is not the original bridge over Kira Creek. This bridge was built in the 1970s, lying just a few yards west of the remains of the original bridge, which can be seen when facing east side of the bridge, with its big wooden foundations still resting along the sides of the creek. The tales of paranormal occurrences at the Bodden Bridge are even more recent, dating back to the mid-1990s. Originally, it was the stories of an Indian massacre, that brought people to the banks of Kira Creek. Reports of screams, apparitions of Native Americans, the sound of horseshoofs beating across the bridge, and flashes of light are associated with this legend. Today, the legend is greater. The stories of ghosts on the bridge brought about a real-life tragedy that may have created true ghosts when an accident occurred there in 1997 due to the reckless driving. Some teenagers. Within the last decade, reports of a young girl crying, then disappearing, phantom-wrecked vehicles that vanish when approached, and even stories of possession are now associated with the bridge. The third bridge, the Indian drums. Upon learning about the third bridge, nearly the first thing that one is told about the phenomena experienced in the areas that the Indian drums that can be heard off in the distance that seem to grow louder and then fainter, as if they are drifting upon the prairie wind, a still moonlit night. Many will say that it's the sound of a war drum, likely of those who are preparing for battle as they were being attacked. The likelihood of this is being shown to be slim, as Indians weren't the ones attacked, but the small family as if we we're in the hands of the Indians. It was a small band of renegade Indians who wouldn't be carrying a drum to forewarn of their approach. However, in the spirit of good investigative techniques, if you look at the Third Bridge, and many people have, this is what I found on YouTube. Visitors to the Third Bridge. The lonesome sound of a drum beat. So they survived the early shortages of loo roll and pasta. They managed without indoor dining or live theatre. Now New Yorkers are facing up to another calamity. There's not enough white truffles this year. A terrible shortage of this delicacy, which can turn a mere fried egg into a $65 entree, is afflicting the upper strata of New York's dining scene. The price, even for chefs with impeccable connections, has risen past four thousand dollars a pound in 25 years i do not recall seeing them north of four thousand dollars a pound in the u.s for restaurants says john magazino director of national accounts at the chef's warehouse the shortage is caused not by the supply chain failures but by a particularly dry summer in europe these drought conditions in italy right now There has been urbanization and more vineyards in northern Italy have taken away some of the growing areas. Truffles are produced by fungi that attach to tree roots. The truffles that uh, produce are like underground fruit. Rowan Jacobson, author of The Truffle Hound, says connoisseurs have spoken of detecting uh, petrol, sex, garlic and mature cheese in the truffle bouquet. One claimed that it contained the pungent memory of a lost youth and old love affairs jacobson felt like catching a glimpse of a satyr prancing around the dining room floor whilst being playing on the flute and flashing its hindquarters at you a great deal of scientific research so far has failed to yield a way of farming white truffles which entice animals such as pigs instead hunters go out with dogs on autumn nights to search for them in the woods and then when the summer has been really dry the fungi wouldn't produce a large crop of truffles. He says there's some evidence of white truffles moving north as the climate warmed, and now they come from central Europe. A truffle hunter in Hungary has said he has found the first in his country and told me that he used to see them there, but they have declined in recent times. They all get bought by Italian dealers through underground networks and then get sold as Italian truffles. I've been chatting with the dealer contracts in Hungary and Croatia and they say it's the worst year they have ever seen. But Magazino wonders how long there'll be white truffles at all. They have records going back to 1920s and 30s. The amount of kilos sold per year has been rapidly declining in the last 20 years or so. Itorori Giordano. Vice President of the Urbani Truffles, the largest and oldest truffle company in the world, said that though the price was high, restaurants keep buying because they're almost out of business for a year and a half. I don't know if they're disappointed to have to sell a dish for $150 at the end of the day. The price has not deterred them. We're selling everything we receive. We're sold out. Okay, this is my favorite truffle joke. Why won't a truffle and a portobello mushroom take a strawberry to the bar? because a strawberry is not a fun guy. A Californian man has managed to pay off his student loan and buy a house through a rigorous saving regime that involved eating all of his food at an amusement park every day for seven years. While an endless supply of pizzas, burgers, donuts at Six Flags Magic Mountain may have caused his waistline to swell, they've made a bigger impact in his bank balance. You can pay around $150 for unlimited year-round access to Six Flags. Uh, which includes parking and two meals a day. If you time it right, you could eat both your lunch and dinner there every day. Six Flags has 27 amusement parks across the US and Mexico and world-class roller coasters. Well, I don't know. scared of roller coasters. The uh, California Park's premium season dining pass, which includes two meals and a snack and limited drinks each day, is listed on the company's website for $109.99. Dylan first came across the offer in 2014 while doing an internship in nearby Valencia, California. One of my co said you can spend $1,500 a month eating out. I said, yeah, I'm not going down that road. Since then, Dylan, who's a roller coaster aficionado, has consumed an estimated 2,000 meals at 50 cents each. That entire first year, I don't know if I was ever going to the grocery store. I timed it so I was able to go there during my lunch break, go back to work, and then stop back for dinner on my way home. It was crazier saving money and paying off student loans. Just as he's growing tired of the unhealthy meals at Six Flags, I began introducing healthier dishes. It's still theme park food, but you can find options that aren't terrible, like tri-tip sandwiches and vegan options like black bean burgers and meatless meat subs. A brisk calorie-burning walk from the car park to the Hurricane Harbour water park brings the reward of lighter Mexican dishes. The snacks include ice cream cookies, funnel cakes, sugary twist of deep-fried batter. That's when I started adding on the weight. He later met his wife. I wonder if she was doing the same thing. And today he eats at Six Flags three or four times a week, but only for lunch and never at the weekends. We just bought a house, so I'm not really going anywhere. As long as they keep changing the menu, I'm happy. I mean, what happens if you go on the giant, giant drop? I've done that before at Six Flags, the giant drop. If you go on the giant drop, it could be a giant plop. I just wanted to say, before I return to our second creepy ghost tale about Umberlin at Blickling Hall, the AI elves and the makers of the Lind- Lindor Balls are tormenting me. They are now advertising to me as I do this podcast. There was just an advert just now for Lindor lint Balls. It's too much. It's too much to bear. It's too tempting. It's going to drive me crazy. I mean, they need to do an alternative to The Shining, I think, where a man is trapped in a hotel without lint balls for the entire winter. So our second real-life ghostly tale are the ghostly sightings of Anne Boleyn. We have talked about this before, but I believe it's worth revisiting. Blickling Hall is a stately Jacobean mansion, one of the largest country estates in Norfolk in the UK, with a thousand years of fascinating history. It is said to be built on the site of Anne Boleyn's birthplace before the family moved to Heather Castle in Kent, where she spent a lot of her younger days and had frequent visits from King Henry VIII during their courtship. Blickling Hall is now cared by the National Trust and has no visible remains of the original Berlin Manor and land other than the dry moat ringing the hall which is now planted with roses and hydrangeas. However when Blickling Hall was built the site of the original Berlin manor was not completely destroyed to make way for the building. Instead the original walls were carefully encased in the hall and now hidden behind the hall's decorative wood paneling. Anne Berlin was married to King Henry VIII and crowned Queen of England on the 1st of June 1533 and was famously beheaded in London on the orders of her husband when she became frustrated that she could not bear him a son. Her father Sir Thomas Boleyn did nothing to help her. He stood by as his daughter and son George Boleyn were executed for high treason, incest and adultery. It is now said that her headless ghost returns every year on the anniversary of her execution the 19th of May as the day becomes night and gets closer to midnight. Anne Boleyn's Ghost rides along the driveway up to the house in a coach drawn by four spectral horses and a headless horseman with her own head on her lap. The moment the coach arrives in front of Blickling Hall, the coach vanishes into thin air and Anne Boleyn wearing a white or grey dress enters the hall and roams the corridors and rooms until the early hours of the next morning. It is said that when the news of Anne's death reached Blickling in 1536, four headless horses were seen dragging the body of a headless man across Norfolk. Recent sightings, the National Trust staff had had encounters with a lady dressed in light grey and white, who some believe is the spirit of Anne Boleyn, returning to her childhood home. So here's a very spooky tale with a certain stench about it nurse thought she was being secretly hypnotized at work and made to fart. A nurse has unsuccessfully tried to sue the NHS after claiming she was secretly hypnotized at work causing her to fart against her will. The nurse insisted she was suffering from an unwelcome gastrointestinal disturbance at work including flatulence a tribunal heard that she claimed that she was being possessed her private parts were being attacked and she was being gaslighted through the use of low frequency sound waves the nurse claimed that the perceived paranormal experiences on poor heating and ventilation at the hospital unit which she worked at the staff nurse self-diagnosed herself as being the target of an ideometer phenomenon a little-known hypnotic concept which is said to make people make movements unconsciously. Well, obviously in this case, bowel movements unconsciously. The acute medical uh, unit nurse described it as an extremely bothersome when she sent an email back to work in April 2019. It laid claims of, that led bosses to become concerned about her mental health as they referred her to occupational health team. The nurse said, I would like to report an unobserved pattern of likely inappropriate use of hypnosis, an idomata phenomenon in my NHS workplace. In the last three months that I've worked in the department, I've experienced odd symptoms which I think is likely related to the above phenomenon. I'm a healthy individual and does not have any past medical history, but recently I have various symptoms including headaches, breathing difficulty, a gastrointestinal disturbance, spasms, and flatulence. This also includes having slurs similar to that being possessed. As in a paranormal phenomenon, I have been noticed that some of my patients and colleagues at work, it becomes extremely bothersome and a distraction at work. It also involves the feeling of being attacked in various parts of the body, including one's private parts. It's very inappropriate. I understand that the control is achieved in this phenomenon with an altered state of consciousness and poorly controlled thermoregulation, heating and inadequate ventilation. Well, it seems like they needed adequate ventilation. Um... The ward is located in the basement of the hospital. I've noticed also that I'm being subjected to significant stress and anxiety, which makes the subject control easier in the process. There is a form of excessive scrutiny I'm presented with excessive complaints from colleagues, which are mostly trivial and made uh, subject to performance management performance, which is not necessary. The frequent mention of the names of my acquaintance and my colleagues is another way of causing anxiety. They're also using gaslighting for the use of low-frequency sound waves. Recently, I've seen a van in the parking lot near the area where I work. It carries audio equipment. The nurse also claimed that she suffered similar hypnotic experiences at her home and wrote to the National Hypnotherapy Society in a bid to back up her claims. After she told bosses about her bizarre experiences, included hearing comments from the TV and radio, she was referred to occupational health. Bosses at the NHS Trust were concerned about her mental health and repeatedly sought professional help. The nurse insisted she was not mentally ill and refused to seize the psychiatrist, claiming that she was being experimented on. She suggested that she was electromagnetic radiation sensitive and dismissed one diagnosis as psychosis was incorrect. I mean, the question is though, I mean, how can somebody hypnotize you and make you fart to order? You must be like fed a whole bath full of baked beans or something or uh, maybe cauliflower or broccoli or something or those sort of uh, farty vegetables to get you to do it. I mean, it's, it's quite an interesting thing. But my, my biggest fear of this story, though, was that she was locked in a basement. I mean, that surely is the ultimate hotboxing. We have a slightly different running order in the podcast or towards the close of the podcast today. I uh, just wanted to thank you for listening um, to the show to Keep Coming Cauliflower Cheese, a special Halloween edition. Uh, it's been episode 134 today and you're very welcome to it. So you can listen to the podcast across all the different platforms from Pandora, iHeartRadio, uh, Apple Podcasts, that's if you all like the audio versions if you like a musical a little musical halloween tribute on the musical butler emporium edition special halloween treats that we have some jeepers creepers we have some michael jackson thriller we have some uh, even after all we have some hardcore uh, we have a little bit of uh, uh, ronan keating life as a roller coaster werewolves of london the uh, day of the witch donovan Smells like teen spirit. She bangs the drums. I mean a real sort of Halloween flavor. To the Butler Musical Emporium. So uh, enjoy that. It's a really lovely soundtrack. I mean and you can hear. Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. I, I saw and heard. As a pumpkin was being carved. The gentle utterings. Of my voice in Keep Calm Cauliflower Cheese. As the pumpkin was being carved. It was almost like. A uh, impresario with a violin. But the carving of the pumpkin seemed to emanate the sounds of Keep Coming Cauliflower Cheese. Marvellous effort, really. So please uh, join me again next week. But before now and the end of the show, we have a poem coming up next. And then right at the end of the show, you'll have excerpts of me walking along a dark, dusty trail in the dead of night with the two hounds and a flashlight maybe a little hit flask to give me a little bit of dutch courage and i'll be going to an ancient burial ground where i will be peeling and carving a turnip rather quickly and we'll be seeing what happens if at all anything anyway coming up next is the poem and then you'll hear me along that dark dusty trail in the dead of night towards halloween this poem is the night of fright by jasmine monsters stalking through the night halloween is the night of fright fear is what this night brings along with many other things are you sure you are prepared tonight is not easily scared creatures from the hell roam on this night for tonight is the night of fright trick or treat you say You should not have waited until the end of day. Tonight you will lose your tricks and treats for the monsters need to eat. You better not take this night lightly or else you'll truly learn what fright means. In ancient times people feared this night. The night they greeted with fright. Why they were scared you'll soon see on this All Hallows Eve. Again, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Coming up next, you're here the remnants of my dark Halloween Eve laden walk, where I go to an ancient Native American burial ground and I peel a turnip. So we're on our lonely trek towards this ancient burial ground. It's just past dusk, it's already getting very dark. I mean, this time of year, the temperature drops really quickly and then darkness sets in. You can just sort of see the silhouette of the trees. Um, I have a flashlight. My two trusty steeds, my trusty hands, are with me, Maggie and George, to protect me. Vicious. And um, so, yeah, this is desolate, to say the least, along this trail. Um, I do have my turnip in my pocket. And I have... A slightly worn and bent peeler so I will you know be peeling the turnip and carving it at the side of this uh burial ground I just worry about the implements I worry about the tools that I have now um it is around 7.05 right now and I'll record I'm gonna be out for a little bit here so I'll record in essence what's going on and what's happening but uh, at the moment, it's getting very dark. Uh, I certainly need the flashlight at this time. Just wish I had a candle. That would add to the effects a little bit more, wouldn't it? Um, but I have everything I need. I am measuring my heart rate with, uh, with a special uh, paranormal uh, meter, also known as an Apple Watch. So let's just have a look here at what my heart rate is reading as we speak. So, 64 BPMs, 13 minutes ago. And as it gets dark, it might be worth uh, checking arterial fibrillation. It's around 78 at the moment, 79. But I hope that's nothing to do with high blood pressure or anything like that. But it will measure probably my as my anxiety rises uh, as as we... uh, Go along this uh this lonely trail with uh, only a few lights in the distance guiding us but uh, i'll check in a minute so it's now 8:30, and i've been sitting here had a little bit of a snack a couple of sandwiches uh, with the crust cut off cucumber of course and uh it's very very dark now completely pitch black i'm sitting in the gazebo my favorite little gazebo sometimes do some wild sleeping here at night and uh the temperature is now dropping considerably to uh it's now 44 degrees and very very cold and it's very very quiet at the moment see some lights in the distance here that uh So it's it's dropped like maybe 15 degrees, but who knows, it may be because I'm right by this burial ground. And my heart rate's beginning to raise a little bit. Maybe maybe it's time for a nip of scotch before we do anything more. So I'm sitting in the gazebo and I'm going to pull out my trusty peeling implement here. And I'm gonna peel this turnip that I have in my pocket. Or is it half a rutabaga? I mean, my, my left-hand pocket's going to stink of a mouldy turnip now, and that's never a good thing. So I'm pulling out the turnip from my pocket. It's very sizable, so they used to carve these back in the day. Dogs are very interested in it. And uh going to carve... I'm going to carve this turnip. It may take a little bit of time here. Oh, you never know, corgis like turnips. So the carving the turnip, as we speak, and I tell you, this pack is hard as hell. And I've got probably the worst tool I've ever had in my toolkit to carve it. Anyway, I'll get round to carving it. I'm sipping some hot chocolate. And I have some emergency scotch here, if necessary. So it's now uh, close to 10 o'clock. And we have the turnip uh, completely shaved now. I mean, it's like it's been to the... Uh, Brazilian wax centre, but for turnips. And uh, it's very, very smooth. And uh, it's carved, just a, a very simple eyes, nose and a mouth. And uh, I'm going to go and place this on the burial site and wait. i waiting for the God, Mr. Potato, to arise from the abyss to take the turnip offering I'm giving to Mr. Potato, or some other root vegetable. So, it's now close 10.30, laying out at the turnip, and I'm just waiting. I mean, it's incredibly quiet now, and the temperature's beginning to drop, as my heart rate does increase rather considerably at this time. And, uh, you know what? I'm not, uh, I'm not shaggy or scooby, I'm not a scaredy cat, or a scaredy dog, but, uh, I think I'm gonna leave the turnip here, and, uh, wait for another day. But the dogs are getting a little bit restless. Turnip shavings are not really satisfying their appetite at this moment in time. So it's very quiet here. In the distance I see some sort of glowing, glowing embers. Almost like some sort of medieval lightsaber potentially. Anyway, the turnip's now been placed and I'm going to make my trek home. Hopefully you'll see me again next week. There's been very little paranormal activity. Uh, Probably my uh, curry I had a little bit earlier, lots of garlic, lots of heat, and uh, probably a little bit of flatulence. uh, They're going to stave away any uh, ghosts or any paranormal ghouls or uh, goblins tonight. Anyway, cheerio for now. Happy Halloween.